This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. It's a preview show, even though the game is on Sunday afternoon. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we'll be talking about the Cougars. We'll also be talking about two new position coaches we talked to. They're not new, but we didn't. We haven't really talked to them so far this season. So we'll talk about what we heard from Kerry Colbert and Vic Sooto. I know Shotgun and I really wanted to talk to Vic Sooto for a while, so we'll give you what we learned from that. We'll also give you an update on USC's injury situation. I feel like every week we're giving you an update on USC's inside linebacker situation. We'll give you another update this week. Uh, then you can also call us 5124-TUNNEL wherever you are. We love answering your Calm, calm, comments, questions, and concerns. And then you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you're watching, I believe we are live on all three platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. Put your comments, questions, and concerns. Chuck and I will do our best to try and see them and answer them. But guys, like I said, it's a preview episode looking at Washington State. I'm going to start with you. Just overall, what is your takeaway so far from this team? I know you kind of grouped them in the Colorado category as yes. like very low expectations. What have you seen? I know they haven't played in the last two weeks, but what did you see from those first two games? Yeah, we haven't seen Washington State. They've had two COVID bye weeks, uh, you know, but they should be coming back, I think, fairly healthy in this one. USC's missed one game is going to try to get back. So we probably will see more uh, players out for COVID on the USC side than the Washington State side. But coming into it, you know, Nick Rolovich, uh, we see what Mike Leach leave or a little later in the game, go to Mississippi State. They hire Nick Rolovich which is a very fun pass-happy offense, but it's a run-and-shoot offense where Mike Leach ran an air raid offense. It's very different, but both of those guys, I think they were like one and two in passing uh, in the nation. So Washington State kind of went with another passing attack, but this one's going to be a little bit different. I thought it was going to take a while, to be honest. Similar to what Colorado was doing, you bring in Nick Rolovich. He had brought in basically a whole new staff as well. So there was some staff continuity uh, at Colorado, I think, that helped Carl Durrell. For Nick Rolovich, it was you know a lot of new guys, so there was a, a whole new staff to put into place. They didn't have any spring practices to implement any of their systems, so I think there was going to be some issues there. Colorado, I got a safety that was I mean a quarterback who was a safety last year. Nick Rolovich brings in a true freshman from Hawaii, uh, Jaden Delora, who's going to be their quarterback. So a lot of concerns I thought coming into this one, but I was really impressed. Uh, Washington State right out of the gate. Beats an Oregon State team that just beat Oregon. I thought it was a feisty Oregon State team. They've struggled a little bit, but, I mean, they could have easily beat Washington. 
Um, you know, they didn't play well, I think, against Washington State, but Washington State looked good. So I think it's a pretty good Oregon State team that Washington State gets a win over. And they gave Oregon all they could handle, uh, this Washington State squad, when they were playing. They were winning early <laughs> on. And, uh, you know, Oregon, Oregon kind of pulled away late in the end. But the, the two games we've seen Washington State, I've been really impressed with what they've been able to do. That's without a whole bunch of guys. They had a bunch of guys out for COVID. Max Borgie, their best running back, hasn't played yet. He had a back injury. He could be back uh, this weekend. And a true freshman quarterback. So you're going to see a little bit more focus on the defensive side of the ball than you saw with, uh, with Mike Leach. Uh, they're going to run the ball a little bit more. Yeah, Shotgun's like, that doesn't really mean much, which is true. <laughs> but just the focus of the defense at all, I think, means something. I think it'll be similar to what we saw when Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator there, where it's more about speed and attacking. And that's just kind of what you have to do at Washington State because they can't get the, the bigger, faster guys. They have the smaller guys playing different positions. But they will run the ball more, too. And if Max Borgie's in there, you're going to see these guys catching balls out of the backfield. If the offense is clicking in a Mike Leach game, you're going to see them just throw almost all the time. And for Nick Rolovich, they're going to probably be running the ball pretty successfully. So they got a, a mobile quarterback. USC's had trouble with those. So this is definitely going to be uh, a challenging game for USC, in my opinion. Yeah, Shotgun, what's your assessment of this matchup uh, for the Trojans? Yeah, Ryan talked about how the, the offenses are different but similar. Uh, you know, it's a similar type of passing attack where you're trying to spread the field and attack spaces in between uh, in the run-and-shoot style. They're going to throw the ball a lot, uh, but they will run the ball more consistently, whereas Mike Leach wanted to – the touches that his running backs would get would be swing passes and stuff, and he considered those runs, basically. He was basically about dividing up the number of touches across the five, you know, eligible receivers, uh, including the running back, whereas – in a run and shoot offense, you want to run the ball and you know hand the ball off rather than throwing it out to the back, back out of the backfield. So it's a little bit different in that regard, and that could be a lot different based on if Max Borgie is back because he is a unique and dynamic weapon. He was electric in Mike Leach's system. Would be it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into Nick Rolovich's system eventually. Um, he is questionable for this game. Uh, so there's, you know, they sounded like it was positive talk earlier in the week. And then today it sounded like the offense coordinator kind of pulled back a little bit on that. Don't know if that's just a little bit of gamemanship. Not sure. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that can change things a lot because he can make guys miss. He makes, he's elusive, misses tackles, a lot of things like that. So um, Dion McIntosh has filled in and been really good at their running back. He's a guy that's run for over 100 yards their first couple games, but Max Borgie brings a different element. So if they can add him in, that gives them a whole uh, whole different type of, of weapon. They've got a couple of good receivers on the outside as well. And like Ryan talked about, Jaden Laura has been playing great. Now the question is, can USC confuse him? This is what you want to do with a young quarterback. You know, do you sit back and force them to to throw into a zone like they you know teams tried to do with Team Slovis last year after he torched uh, Stanford and. Um, and USC was able to torch Utah against man coverage? Or do you attack, attack them and attack them a lot and try to force them to get off their spot, force them to make quick decisions? That's what USC is going to do. That's what Todd Orlando likes to do is bring pressures. So he's going to bring pressures from every different direction and try to keep Jaden Delora's eyes moving the entire time. Um, so that's going to be the key matchup for me in this game is Jaden Delora versus the pressure that uh, Todd Orlando is going to try to draw up. If USC can get there and get home on some of those blitz packages and just keep him uncomfortable, then I think that they have a good chance of, of slowing down this offense for what we've seen the first couple of games for Washington State. And then like Ryan said on the defense side, they actually care about it this year. <laughs> so that's a, that's a big difference. Um, obviously, since Alec Grinch left, and he's now the Oklahoma defense coordinator, um, since he left, there just hasn't been that same emphasis. And, 
you know, they haven't been able to slow teams down as much. So if they can slow USC down a little bit, then that changes the dynamic, obviously, a little bit. Instead of it being a shootout like it was a couple years ago when USC uh, beat Washington State on a Friday night, I think it was. Mm -hmm. If you remember last year, what the Tracy Clays was a defensive coordinator and got fired or left or whatever it was, like in the middle of the season. That, UCLA game. It, yeah. was, it was a mess. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, the UCLA game where they were down, like, 50 to whatever basketball yeah. score. <laughs> yeah, that was insane. <laughs> yeah. And in that sense, Ryan, what do you make of this team now? I know you mentioned the both Oregon and Oregon State game, but then I know every matchup is different, but then you have Oregon State beating Oregon. I mean, how do you look at this team knowing how uh, Oregon and Oregon State went on to, to play each other? Yeah, I thought I think the Pac-12 North is pretty strong across the board. I mean, is Oregon a playoff team? No, I don't think they are. They, you know, they hung around with UCLA. I mean, even Stanford early on there was it was close until Oregon pulled away that Oregon's been a double digit favorite every time. And they actually covered against Washington state, but it was like a complete backdoor cover sort of thing. I don't think Oregon's quite as good, but they're still a, you know, a really talented team. I think they're the most talented team in the North. It would have been great to see the apple cup last week, uh, Washington state and Washington. Obviously that wasn't able to happen. We got to see Washington go down 21, nothing to, to Utah. But I think this is a good Washington state Cougar team. I think you have, really competent as uh, coaching uh, on the squad. Uh, I think Jake Dickert's going to do a good job running the defense uh, for them. We'll see how they kind of develop, you know, this year and then, you know, going into next year. But for the future, I think they're good. But just for now, it just looks like a really feisty team, a team that you don't necessarily want to play. And they might have a little bit of a leg up with the two weeks off that USC didn't get to have. And will they be fully healthy? You know, uh, Chaka talked about uh, Max Borgie, and that's going to be a question, but just getting some of the guys back that, you know, when you're practicing, USC's practicing this week, there's going to be a bunch of guys that are out that might be able to play in the game, but they won't get a full practice. Zoom meetings and conditioning on your own isn't going to be quite the same. So some of that stuff is up in the air where a lot of those Washington State players that were out, do they have a chance to practice all week and get ready for USC? Those little kind of behind the scene advantages that you're not going to know all the details on, but it seems like some of that's, you know, favoring Washington State here. But I would not, there's not a team uh, you want to take lightly, lightly. I think it's a two touchdown, uh, yeah, they're a two touchdown underdog here, but I, I think this has the, the capability of being a very close game, uh, with a well-coached team and, uh, you know, a competent quarterback that could give USC some troubles and, you know, a USC team that had a week off and we'll see if it's, you know, a bunch of offensive linemen out, does that impact what's going on here? They did, they struggled to run against Utah, certainly not the kind of front you're going to see against Washington state, but if you got some offensive linemen out, maybe you do still struggle in the run game. And that, that's going to put more pressure on Keaton Slovis. And, you know, that's been a little up and down this year. Yeah. Nick Rolovich did say that they expect to travel 74 players, which is the travel roster limit for the Pac-12, which is a really positive sign for them that they are back healthy from the COVID and, you know, at least have a full full uh, gamut of players to be able to travel rather than, you know, he said, I think the last game that they played, they, they said that he played with like, I think 40, was, 48 or something, was something scholarship like that, yeah. players, uh -huh. which is under the limit, but they still wanted to play. Um, so now they're getting back to, to full strength there, whereas USC, just like Ryan said, you know, you may have a, a, almost a full deck, but you're still having those guys that have been quarantined for two weeks that are basically going to get out of their quarantine on Saturday, Sunday. So they're going to be rejoining the team, but will not have practice. So you, we, we know it's the offensive line group, so that's going to be a big question mark. And just two weeks off is always in, you know, who is better prepared after two weeks off? You know, is it, uh, is it going to be Washington State? 
Um, you know, they haven't played for two weeks and they, you know, they're able to practice as a full squad. They're probably chomping at the bit to, to get out there this week in practice. Whereas USC, it's going to be, you know, Clay Helton said there'll be more walkthroughs and stuff this week. Um, you know, I asked him about what kind of changes there would be and you're not going to be able to go as many team periods and things uh, you know, of that nature just because you've had that you know a, a single position group get hit by the the COVID um, quarantining and stuff with the contact tracing. So you may not be able to go full team periods when you want to. You may not be able to go inside run if you want to. You know those are some question marks there. And Clay Helton also said that they're going to have to you know their service teams are you know are basically going to be the first and second string. You know they're not going to have you know uh, the full depth chart to where you can use walk on and you know uh, and third string guys to to go run Washington State's plays in practice you're gonna have to need your uh, first and second string guys to be do that so it's gonna be a different week of practice for USC um, the, they're just gonna have to deal with it Kerry Colbert and Vic Soto basically said the same thing it's like we've dealt with injuries and stuff before so we kind of just take it like that you know we've got a thin roster so you know we'll, we'll just try to make the most of it this week in practice but that's gonna be a lot different for USC so how do they come out and are, are they prepared and when you talk about Washington State, Ryan, one of the things that this st stands out to me talking about Oregon and Washington State, Oregon State, is all these teams, almost all the teams in the Pac-12, there's a lot of replacement, a lot of turnover this year uh, at, at key positions, especially quarterback. So you expected to see progression from a lot of the Pac-12 teams. Now, we've seen that on USC, you know, new coordinator on the defensive side, third week against Utah, the defense took a step forward. Now, is that a blip or is that a trend? That's what we want to see you know, this weekend against Washington State and going forward. But that's what you're going to see with some of these Pac-12 teams is that third, fourth, fifth game of the, of the year that you know, maybe there's some teams that take some strides that didn't look good that first week. But now, you know, once they get, you know, they've worked with these coordinators for a little while and you've, you've been able to get guys in the right positions now, that they start taking steps forward. And that could be something that Washington State is a team that could do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go to him. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa, I believe. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Great to be back. Sorry I missed Sunday. <laughs> I had some personal stuff to take care of. But uh, I watched the replay. Ryan, you seem a little uh, scared of uh, UCLA, or at least, not. I don't want to say scared, but like compared to at least the pre your preseason predictions. Again, I'm pretty sure that's, again, development over talent, something that, again, we're struggling with. But, again, I'm just uh, – one thing I'd like to ask is, what would you guys think if we had, like, in a sense, Washington State's offensive coordinator in terms of the mindset of, like, a run-and-shoot offense versus the air raid? Just because thus far Washington State looks pretty good, especially they looked pretty good against Oregon. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I was talking with, uh, for the podcast of Champions Plug, David Woods, <laughs> who covers UCLA, and he's like, yeah, the defense for UCLA actually looks like entertaining to watch. Like, they're aggressive. They're going after people. You watch uh, Felton run the football. They're, I mean, they've had a backup quarterback the last two weeks and won both of them. And, you know, the offense looks good doing it. Like, he was pretty baffled. He's like, usually you're watching these games. You just, I don't want to claw my eyes out anymore. So that's kind of, so that's someone that covers UCLA is like, yeah, this is pretty much out of the blue. They look like a really competent football team. There's talent there. And scheme-wise, it seems to be working. Why isn't it, has it taken this long? Is it only a weird blip? I don't know. But they, they definitely look uh, better. They look like a really tough team uh, in the Pac-12. You know, they're only two and two. It's the first time under Chip Kelly they've been... 500 this late in the season, so 
pretty crazy. Does it count as late in the season? It's technically early. <laughs> uh, the first time ever was, technically was both. two weeks ago <laughs> they were true. one and one. That was the first time because he's 0-9 in out-of-conference games. So no conference game, out-of-conference games this year. I think that, that sort helps. Of it definitely yeah. helps. Yeah, true. And there was a, another question that Dave had about the run and shoot. And, yes. Uh, Washington State's offensive coordinator. See, it's just the, 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 the air raid that USC runs isn't Mike Leachy because of the they, they like to run the football more. I, it might be closer to what you're doing. Now, some of the route trees and stuff and the passing concepts might not be exactly the same, but there is like, you know, the element of, you know, really effective passing game with uh, an effective running game. So there's some similarities there, but I think a lot of difference. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, 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 can't, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a critic of the scheme. I like the scheme and stuff. And if they ran some kind of run-and-shoot thing, I wouldn't have an issue with that either. I just want someone that's competent that knows their scheme cold and will teach the players to do it. And that, as long as you can do that, that's fine. What they had a couple of years ago with the gumbo, that's what I don't like. You sound like you're still reeling from the gumbo offense and having yeah. to watch that <laughs> pretty pull, much. Like, ah. hey, go back to last year and look at the first couple games. You know, you look at the at, after the Stanford game where people go, oh, this air raid is just not any good. No, they'd be like, wow, look at what, what can happen with a, a freshman quarterback in the air raid. This thing's only going to go up. So I think you're don't make too much out of two games is what all I'm saying with Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they've still got to put things in and continue to develop. Um, obviously, Rolovich has had success. At Hawaii, so did Graham Harrell at North Texas. So, you know, USC's offense should be taken off this year, and I think it's being held back a little bit by Keaton Slovis's lack of confidence, indecisiveness, arm trouble, whatever you want to call it. He's just not playing to the same level he was last year, and because of that, the offense hasn't really exploded like it could. And, you know, you got to be able to run the ball in short yard situations a little bit better. And I think that's a, a combination of uh, the players on the field and the play calling that's been that's been going on. With what's going on with Keenan Slovis, do you think a week off helps or hurts him in his, maybe it's a mental thing, you have time to kind of breathe a little bit, or do you have more time to think about it? Where do you stand on that front? I haven't really thought about that. That's an interesting point, Keely, because if you're, you know, you're coming out of the game, you don't have that many games, so you don't want to take too much time off. But there was good, there was bad. Do you get an opportunity to sort of like, you know, calm yourself, a little moment of zen and come out and just go gangbusters against Washington State. I think that's a possibility. So I, I don't, you know, I think they'd rather have played, but it might not be a bad thing for Keaton Slovis's, you know, mental preparation to take, have that week off and come through and then try to, you know, knowing everything you know, reassess it all and then come out and just play and, and throw the football around to open guys. Mm-hmm. Shoddy? It, it's, it's interesting. You know, I think that, Depending on where you're at, and the fact that they didn't practice, I think gives him a breeze, a, a kind of a you know a, a, air, a breath of fresh air, kind of you know lets him get away from it, lets him breathe a little bit. I think, and now you come back to practice this week, I think he can have a clear head and kind of attack it. I don't think when you when you aren't practicing, I don't think that you're in it, you know, focusing on it all the time. You're thinking about oh Thanksgiving and you know zooming with family and whatnot during that time. So I think it's probably good for him at, at this stage in the season him to get that breath of fresh air and we'll see how he kind of bounces back from it you know especially if it if it you know was an arm ailment that extra time off w- wouldn't hurt um so we'll see where he's at here and if he comes back strong and, and playing it's a new day it's a new day of the week you know so <laughs> if they play on sunday it'll be it'll be unique to see where he's at 
Jaden Delora, you know, he's had a couple weeks off too. So, you know, both quarterbacks are going to be, you know, at least have fresh arms. We'll see what happens out there. <laughs> True. And in that sense, Chuck, and I know uh, Clay Helton is very much about uh, procedure and making sure that everyone's on the same page. That's why they do mock game week and they go to the Coliseum and make sure everyone like knows how it is. When you move uh, your whole schedule a day back, you play on a Sunday night or afternoon. Does that change anything? Are you expecting anything? Because I know in the same vein, Helton goes, oh, put the ball down and we'll play wherever, you know, those coach speaks. Where do you think that, that it does it impact USC at all if, if they're changing their schedule in that sense? I don't think it impacts that much right now because they finished their finals and stuff. So, you know, the kids are out of classes and, and whatnot. So it's not like every day is basically the same. You know, when you're they're basically isolated right now. Uh, the only thing that's different, you would you would say, is, oh, what sports are on this day? But, hey, we just had an NFL game on in the middle of the day on Wednesday. So it's not even like, you know, that you got to kind of kind of have a schedule and a rhythm there um, like you normally would with NFL games and whatnot. So I, I think for them it's just, you know, you just move the day and it's kind of like quarantine was in the middle of, you know, May or, or something like that, April or May, when you're like, what day of the week is it again? Because I, I feel like the players, you know, they're going to be locked in and they're just going to be going about their business every day, going to the facilities and going to practice and stuff so you don't really pay attention to the day of the week more you pay attention to okay today's the padded practice tomorrow's the you know the shell day uh, and you just go from there and you kind of lose track of the days when there's no class to, to kind of give you that schedule as well mm-hmm. so like we mentioned at the top of the show we got to talk to carrie colbert and vixa oto this week uh, first time really this whole season we've got, been able to talk to him vixa oto was someone we wanted to talk to just because the dif- defensive line has definitely ele- elevated its game in 2020 uh, there's a lot of talk about Marlon Tui Pelotu. Ryan, what did you take away from his media availability? Yeah, I mean, I think he, of the two, he seemed just to be a little more, had a little more energy and was kind of more into it a little bit. I don't know what you guys thought. Like, Kerry Corbett was just sort of like, it was like a bit, you know, he was like looking around sometimes. It didn't seem like he was all that into it for what, I don't know. I mean, maybe that was just me. <laughs> but did you guys touch that at coaches all? Coaches are, are, it depends. Yeah, so, well, it wasn't coaches... Graham Harrell like doing it from his car the one time. Like, that was very <laughs> weird too, so. That was very strange. He's like in his car, like, in, you know, in driving stuff. in. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, when talking about, he talked a lot about Marlon Tuipelotu and some of the questions that he would ask, uh, you know, and, and how you knew he was progressing in the defense and, uh, you know, talking about their interior defensive linemen aren't just there to, you know, stuff, you know, to, to cause problems and, and, you know, log jam things like they're in there to make plays. And get sats, and he's someone that's doing that. And the the relationship with Tuli Tuli Pelotu, and how they're you know maybe a little bit banter on the field, but they're not really you're not really. I mean, it's like you wouldn't notice that they were brothers if you're you know if, you know on the team and stuff. So there were some interesting dynamics, I think, when he was talking about that. The contributions of like a, a Nick Figueroa. I think Shotgun asked about you know getting a guy like Jacob Lichtenstein back, and didn't really. I don't know if we got a lot of answers about where we're going to see him or you know how he's back, but you know I thought he was you know, really interesting as far as like talking about the defensive line. He's a young coach, you know, he's only been around, he's been a defensive line coach for three years. He looks like he's a star in the making. It's just the sense you get from him. I mean, he looks like he could, you know, bench press all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of like you respect him, but also I feel like he's got the, he's building that coaching acumen that he's going to be someone that you're going to see get big time jobs, I think in the future for sure. Mm -hmm. Shotgun, your assessment? 
Yeah, I think Vic Soto, you know, he brings a, a fire and a passion. He's one of the guys that's, you know, rallying the troops on the sideline, whether it's his group or not. And his group has been playing really well. Now, there hasn't been a ton of rotation. We're still waiting to see some of those younger guys. Dejan Benton's a guy that I feel like has been lost in the shuffle a little bit. Curious to see, um, you know, what's going on with him. Unfortunately, didn't think to ask about it this morning. Uh, but, you know, the guys that are playing are playing great. And, you know, Vic Soto says it all goes back to practice. You know, if, if you don't practice hard on Tuesday, you're not going to play on Saturday, is what he said, or Sunday this week. Um, but, you know, he said, you know, what you do in inside run period on Tuesday is just as important to him as, you know, what you've done the previous Saturday um, in a game. So he wants to see you practice and practice hard. And those guys that are continuously practicing hard, he says, are the guys that are performing right now. He said Tulu Tulu is a guy that, you know, whenever he's out there, he just runs. That's how he described it. Said, well, what exactly does that mean? He said, well, everywhere he goes, he goes as hard as he can. So he's going 100% all the time. Doesn't mean if it matter if it's between drills or whatever. Um, even if he doesn't know what he's doing, he's going 100% at it. Um, you know, so a guy like Nick Figueroa, same thing. You know, people kind of wonder, like, how is Nick Figueroa jumping up into the starting lineup? He was kind of a forgotten guy last year in the defense because he's kind of a tweener. They didn't know exactly where to put him. Now he's, he's you know, in there and he's been doing really well, getting pressure on the quarterback and stuff. Um, and, and Marlon Tuipelotu obviously has been a beast for USC's defensive line. And Vic Soto said it comes back to, you know, how he practices and how he's attacking the film room and stuff, too. And he said you could tell he loves the game by the question he was asking, which Ryan touched on. He said he's asking questions like, you know, specifics about the offense coordinator, what the offense coordinator likes to do. He said, oh, did you notice this thing in the third quarter that they like to do this? Have you seen this too, coach? Those type of questions that are really in-depth and specific rather than, What's my what's my job on this play? What's my assignment? You know, the, rather than the vague and uh, general questions, he's been very specific. He's rarely into it, and I think having his younger brother here has you know has put pushed Marlon Tuipelotu to another level. I think having those two and them building off each other has been really good for both of them. Um, just because it's a competition, it's a sibling rivalry. You see it in the basketball court, Isaiah Mobley and Evan Mobley. When you get your sibling around, you're like, well. I got to do better than young brother, you know. And if you're young brother, you want to always, you know, pass your older sibling. And the older sibling's always like, nah, the crown's mine. You got to stay down a little bit. So you have that competition built in. And I think it's helping both those guys. Mm -hmm. I forget the specific quote, Chuck, and I know you know it, though. Vic Soto said about pressures, like pressures are just Miss Sacks, in my opinion. And in that sense, how do you relate that to? I know you want to see the matchup between USC's defensive front and Jane Delora. What are you expecting from him and, and, and USC's uh, counterpunch, if you will? Yeah, that's something that will be interesting to see what Todd Orlando does there. Do they use a spy again like they did in the second half of that Arizona game? Uh, who's available at inside linebacker to be able <laughs> to play? Um, you know, is, if Raylan Goforth, he was supposed to practice yesterday or go through their, you know, their, their walkthrough practice they had. He was supposed to do some change direction drills. We'll see where he's at when we talk to Clay Holton tomorrow. Pallia Naitiote has remained in concussion protocol as of the last update we got yesterday. So those two guys still are out as of now. So, you know, who's filling in? Is it Raymond Scott and Tua Sivi Nomura coming in behind Kanai Malga? You know, is there someone else that, that jumps in the mix? Do you play with only one linebacker and you bring Talanoa Hufunga up in the box a little bit more? Um, do you use a spy more because Jane Delore is mobile? He's not necessarily a running quarterback, but he is mobile, can get outside the pocket. Uh, so what do they do there? Well, for the defensive line, you know, Vic Soto, his quote was, pressures to me are just missed sacks. And he was talking about Nick Figueroa and said, talking about how he's a guy that gets there and hits the quarterback rather than just moving the quarterback off his spot. But he talked about how there's no he, – he tried to tell the defensive lineman that there's no decoys. 
you know, I don't want you guys to be decoys out there. So they bring a blitz and they bring six guys and, you know, they want their, they want the linemen to take up a couple of blockers so they can open up a hole. He said, but I don't want you to just get stuck there and just be stuck on those guys. I want you to go make a, go uh, attack the quarterback. He said this, every snap is an opportunity to go get the quarterback. So you need to be trying to do that. Um, so that's something they're going to do. They just got to stay in the rush lanes a little bit better than they have a couple of times in the, in the first two games. They did that better against Utah. So we'll see what kind of, you know, how they do. They may start out with, you know, some four-man pressures and, you know, bring some blitzes and not spying at all. But then if, you know, Delora gets out for a couple third-down conversions, you might see an adjustment like you did the last two weeks. I mean, USC, the last two games, has not given up a third-down conversion in the second half. That's, that's adjustments in-game. Interesting. Well, I'm going to jump to a question just because it, it uh, relates to that. Dre Day on YouTube said, do you guys think that the defense will take another step forward or do you think not having a normal practice schedule will affect their play? It's a, it's a very good question, you know, um, because one of the biggest things is tackling and being able to get those angles down and just the speed of the game. Yeah. You know, when, when you have a couple weeks off, you know, the speed of the game can change on you a little bit, you know, when you're not being able to, especially this week, if they're not able to do team periods as much as possible, uh, just are they, are they being able to keep their angles correct and, you know, going full speed like they looked in that Utah game. They looked, they looked like they had taken, they'd been in the mud for the first couple of games and they kind of got out and got some green grass and started running full speed um, in that Utah game or were coming downhill very hard and heavy. Uh, and that's what you want to see out of a defense. Mm -hmm. So we'll see, you know, where they're at in this game. The first quarter could be really telling, you know, how much of it is, you know, just the processing part of the defense. And that was why they were stuck in the mud versus, you know, just shaking off the rust and being the first couple games in a, you know, almost a 11 or 12 month period. Mm -hmm. It's tough because you did take steps forward in the Utah game. Now you have a week off. This is a defense that can put a lot of pressure on you, especially you know, where there's some issues, we've seen some issues with the interior, uh, the uh, interior linebackers. They love using the slot guys more than what we see, uh, you know, from Washington State in the past. They're going to use those slot guys a lot. That can really, you know, make you, you know, stretch and, uh, and cover the entire field and, and play defense on the entire field. So they're going to put this Washington State offense is going to put some pressure on the defense. So if they did take a little step back, it's going to be problems. So they got to keep the forward momentum going, and hopefully that week off isn't going to, uh, you know, derail that. Mm -hmm. You keep talking like this is an upset territory, Ryan. Are you trending towards that? No, I'm trending towards USC's a double-digit favorite, which I will not be betting on the USC side if I was betting or whatever. I, you know, I would take Washington State in the 13 points. I think USC is going to probably win the game, but I feel like it's going to be close, and I feel like it's going to be competitive one. But I don't think. You know, USC is going to be a, a two, you know, a two touchdown favorite seems a lot to me. But, you know, we'll see. USC's got the talent to definitely blow Washington State out. We haven't seen either of these teams for a while. So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Yep. Uh, Mark on YouTube also has a question. Will the, S the CDC shortening the 14-day quarantine recommendation help USC get some of the quarantine players back earlier than expected? No, it's too late for that. I think, uh, there's, I think it's good for college basketball. Uh, I think it could be good soon, but I, I don't see the Pac-12 making some kind of decision today or tomorrow. I mean, it's basically has to be, you have to make some decision in the next couple of days to change that. But uh, I mean, it's good. So the CDC is saying like, if you've, you test positive after quarantine at seven days, you can come out and, you know, it's, it's up to each conference to kind of decide what they want to do. So the Pac-12 would have to get together and the local, you know, uh, health officials of each county and say, all right, we're going to follow CDC guidelines. If you were exposed, you don't have to be in quarantine for 
14 days. You can do seven if you test out or 10 total. So that's going to be up, you know, it's it, it's going to be a slow, I think it will get there eventually, but it's going to take a while for everyone to kind of adopt that timeline if they agree with it. I mean, the PAX world can make the, the adjustment really quickly. Um, you know, it's going to take the local, each school in their local uh, county ordinances and local city ordinances to kind of push on the county and be like, hey, the CDC says this, can we make that change? Can we make that and keep pushing on it before that happens? So that usually takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, we have seen things come together pretty quickly at, at with different things, but I think there's just so much going on right now at the county and city levels, uh, particularly in Los Angeles, that I don't think that's a top priority. Whereas when USC was able to kind of push on Newsom with the letter and everything, there was it was a little bit more calm at that point. Just as far as you know, all the political stuff, as far as you know, whether they should do mandates and uh, you know, shutdowns and all that type of stuff. So, I think it's low priority right now, so it's gonna be tougher to get that to push across in a day or two like that because that's what it would need. Just like Ryan said, it would have to happen, you know, would have would have had to happen today or tomorrow really for it to take effect because you know, I, I don't think there's gonna come into play on Friday and suddenly you get guys back necessarily. Mm-hmm. We actually have a caller on the line, so let's go to him. I believe it is Keith from Irvine. Hello, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, you guys are like my favorite show ever, okay, just to let you know. Thank you. Uh, I've seen you guys in person, a couple of USC games, and uh, you guys are so great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about recruiting. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Trojan fan, even though I played at Fresno State. Uh, I, love, I love the Trojans, and I want to hear from you guys what you guys think about our most recent pickup uh, with the wide receiver that put from Oregon coming out of modern day. Also, what are, uh, if, if getting that recruitment for Corey Foreman would really turn the table for us to team up with Drake Jackson on the end and uh, any other uh, insights you guys have in recruiting, I'd love to hear that. Thanks, Keith. We appreciate it. Shadi? Where do we want to start? With Kyron Ware Hudson, the uh, wide receiver from Modern day, his brother, Keon, is a defensive lineman at Oregon. So everyone thought this was kind of a done deal that he was going to Oregon after committing there. He is, he's a big body. He's similar to – he's in a similar vein as a Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy, as a big-bodied receiver. Um, you know, have heard some positive things about his development over, the, you know, the offseason, but that's hard to say. A lot of guys do. You know, there can be some big jumps in their games. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of him when I saw him earlier uh, in, in his career – just as far as the has how far up his ranking was, I thought he was probably a high three star, low four star guy. But uh, you know, I'm hearing positive things about him, so we'll see. Obviously, it's just tough not being able to see players for for almost a year now, yeah. uh, basically for us. But if he had, you know, if he has taken strides, I think there's there were rooms for areas for he where he could improve. Uh, and if he has taken those, you know, he's like I said, he's a big body, he's strong, he catches the ball in traffic really well. So there's a lot of things to like about him. Um, and like I said, he, he kind of follows in the same mold as a Brew McCoy or, or a Kyle Ford. Maybe not as tall, uh, maybe an inch shorter than those guys, but similar muscular guy that can go up and make some tough catches for you. So I, I think he follows in that path, and he's another guy that fills in as an outside receiver for USC going forward. You know, you can team him now with Michael Jackson, uh, the wide receiver from from uh, Las Vegas, who's more like an Amon Ross St. Brown. Can you be using the slot? Can you know do a lot of different things? And I think you're putting together more of a complete wide receiver group in this recruiting class. Though they did lose a guy today, and Josh Moore, uh, the the safety from Atlanta, who USC was recruiting as a wide receiver, he said because of unforeseen circumstances, he will no longer be committed to USC. So 
A lot of times that usually means the school dropped them. Don't, don't have the behind the scenes on that. Maybe we'll have some stuff in the war room. Um, but we'll see if USC, if that's the case, are they looking at someone else? Or was this a, a case of just replacing him with Kyron Ware Hudson? Uh, some question marks there. On the defensive line front, Corey Foreman is obviously still USC's top priority in the entire recruiting class. He's a game changer. Teaming him with Drake Jackson would be terrific. And that's why it's important for USC to play games and for Corey Foreman to see how Drake Jackson is improving. You know, how is Marlon Tui Pelotu improving? How are those other guys in the defensive line? Because that's what he's looking for. He's looking for an opportunity to compete and, and play immediately, but also development. And development has been something that's been kind of iffy, depending on the position at USC in the past couple of years, and something that uh, some of the uh, top-end guys have been kind of weary of is the development there and the, con uh, the consistency of the coaching staff you know, with the unknowns about Clay Helton being fired or not being, you know, there was a big question marks there. I think he's pretty stable right now, and the stability there should only help with that recruitment as well. But there are a lot of suitors for Corey Foreman because he's the top player in the country. So he's a guy that USC is going to be on the entire time, but, you know, we won't find out that one, I don't believe, until after the early signing period. I think he's making his decision in January. I don't haven't heard... I uh, haven't listened to Greg Biggins did a podcast with him, 25 minutes. Um, did you listen to Corey Foreman talking about his recruitment? Not sure if he says in there whether or not he plans to sign in December and announce at the All-American event uh, in January or if he's going to sign in February. Not sure exactly on that one. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Keith, for the call. Yeah, we appreciate call. it. Um, as far as just recruiting in general, it's crazy. Early signing period is coming up very quickly. It's two weeks away. I I know. It's just crazy given how weird, like, we're middle of the season, but are we not? You know, it's weird. <laughs> what is your quick assessment where USC stands right now uh, two weeks away from early signing period? Real quick, there's some big fish still out there. You know, Shotgun mentioned one for 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 sure. <laughs> so looking at the trend, you see, like, out-of-state guys decommit or whatever and, and – in-state guys switch their commitment from an out-of-state school to a you know a local school. They, these kids are not going to be able to visit colleges for a year, like from April to April. It's pretty crazy the extended dead period. Does that push a lot of players to stay closer to home? A guy like Corey Foreman can go out and take visits and stuff, but not everyone can. And you would you rather just stay closer to home when you don't get an opportunity, unless you really know where you want to go and you pick some place you've never been before? because you got all these sure reasons, it's, it's tough. So I think, you know, some of the local schools, there's a lot of local talent in uh, Southern California. I think that helps USC. So watch that trend if you start seeing some decommitments to guys that might have been a long-time commitment to some out-of-state school, not just for USC, but for any place around the country, and they end up going to the local school. Uh, you might see some of that. But, you know, USC's back up to number seven, I believe, in the 24-7 uh, mm -hmm. the, the sports rankings, and certainly has the opportunity to move up. Uh, Oregon's up there too, still in the top five, but can USC pass Oregon? Well, they have to get a couple of those big name guys still on the list. And if they can, uh, yeah, it could be a top five class. In that sense, Shotgun, how do you think the battle Oregon versus USC recruiting will end up going in 2020? Everyone's kind of looking at that as now the, the Pac-12 battle. Um, USC obviously has fallen a peg, you know, from just being the dominant team and the dominant recruiting force. Uh, Utah, I mean, uh, Oregon has taken steps forward, as well as Utah and Washington. Both those schools have taken steps forward as well. But USC, this class is so much better than last year. Just, just to start with, I mean, being up at number eight right now um, is where they are now that Josh Moore has dropped out. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. uh, last year they were 64 is where they finished at. 
you know, they're already they're sitting currently at nine for next year's class. So the recruiting efforts are, are much better. It's it's a unique year, obviously, with the coaches not being able to get kids on campus yet. But USC's done a really good job of getting some, you know, some high profile guys. But this is going to be an interesting time. This last two weeks, just because it's going to be interesting all across the country because our kids suddenly going to realize and say, maybe I should stay home, especially with this uptick and the number of cases that are going on, the hospitalizations, whatnot. Maybe I should stay closer to home. Uh, you know, USC has some commits from Washington, Texas, you know, Florida. They have commits from across the country. Do some of those kids suddenly say, eh, maybe I got, maybe I should rethink this? You know, obviously Josh Moore from Georgia decommitted from USC. You had Philip Riley from Florida has decommitted from USC. USC picks up Kyron Ware Hudson. And one of the things he said about why he made his flip from Oregon to USC was to potentially stay closer to home with all the stuff that's going on right now. So, you know, that's good for USC with a guy like Corey Foreman, potentially, if he stays home, that's obviously much better for USC. But, you know, you got to look at their class and there's some guys from out of town, you know, as Quay Davis stay in here, you know, we, we've had some updates on him on the on the P as well. So there's some guys in here that are still, there's some question marks going into signing day still. You know, it's not necessarily a locked-in class where USC is right now. All the local guys you feel pretty confident about, uh, but some of the out-of-state guys are still some question marks. Ibrima mm -hmm. on YouTube said, what does USC need to do in order to land more elite California recruits? Too many kids seem to be leaving California for the East Coast. I mean, it starts win. with win. Yeah, <laughs> it starts with winning. If you're a top tier program that's winning championships, division, conference, national, you know that's the type of programs that the elite kids want to go to. It's unfortunate for USC that the, the classes they missed out have been very, very good Southern California classes last year and this year. Uh, there's some really high end talent there. It's not like the top Southern California players number twenty five. It's number one, number two, number three in the last couple classes. Uh, you missed out on some elite, elite quarterbacks last year. DJ Uangalele, uh, who's been playing for Clemson. Bryce Young, who's been getting some time for Alabama. CJ Stroud, Rancho Cucamonga kid who went to Ohio State as well. So, you know, there's elite guys at the top you missed out on. This, this class, you got Jake Garcia, you got Miller Moss. Those guys are, are uh, committed to USC. USC still trying to make a run at Jackson Dart from Utah as well. So, uh, you know, they're trying to fill in that quarterback class since it's the, the room is going to be pretty bare once uh, Matt Fink leaves, um, you yeah. know, depending on what he decides to do after the season since he will have an extra year of eligibility. But um, there's some interesting things there. But it starts with winning. But the two things, just like I said, are stability with the coaching staff and knowing, hey, my position coach is going to be there. Hey, my head coach is going to be there. I like this guy. That's a guy I want to play for, that type of thing. But development. Development is huge for the elite guys they, because they see themselves. Anyone who's a five-star, anyone who's in the top 100 thinks they're an NFL player eventually. So they want to see the program that's going to develop them and turn them into that NFL player um, from what they are as a high schooler. Mm -hmm. I believe Dave from Iowa called back and wants to chime in on recruiting and what Keith said, I believe. So let's go to Dave. Okay. Hi, Dave. You're back. Hey, Tunnel Vision, once again, bless for you to take my second call. I'm calling back again because, you know, I didn't call on Sunday. But, um, so two things. One, so, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Greg Biggins' article about on Corey Foreman, but, uh, it kind of seems like ASU is, that, uh, Corey Foreman is really considering ASU. So I'm curious with your thoughts on, uh, ASU and Corey Foreman. And then second, uh, watching the playback, I remember Shotgun, you responded to the whole Jamar Jefferson, offer situation. I looked up his profile. It said that USC scouted him. So I'm curious, like, 
was the offer late enough that it didn't count, so to speak, or did Jamar kind of decline the offer? I heard it was late in the cycle. I don't remember USC offering him. That's a yeah. better question for Gerard. Um, just because it sounded like it was a late offer that they tried to you know, add to the class late. They got Marquise Step in that same class. So you know, I think they're happy with getting Step if they can keep him healthy. That's a big question. Um, but Jamar Jefferson was a guy that you know he wasn't the topping guy. He wasn't a Stephen Carr. He wasn't you know he wasn't even uh, you know a Byron Cardwell that's you know, the top guy on USC's re- uh, running back board from Southern California this year. You know he was a three-star guy. So even though he was local, sometimes guys just you know they develop. And, and Oregon State's a place where guys can go. And if you get that early playing time, he wouldn't have got any playing time at USC. You know he came in the same class as Marquis Step. How many times have people on in on the show on our message boards clamored for Marquis Step to get more carries? Already tonight, <laughs> Jamar Jefferson gets every carry up at Oregon State because they didn't have the depth because he was able to to jump to the front of that depth chart and take over the starting role early in his career. Whereas at USC, you know Jefferson would be he would either be where Marquis Step is or where Keenan Kristen is. And neither one of those guys, you know, unless he just completely blew, you know, Vavai and Stephen Carr out of the water, which I don't think necessarily would have been the case with the fact that he wouldn't get those extended carries. Now, give him a lot of credit. He has developed each year at Oregon Step and added to his game. He looks faster this year than he has in the past. Um, so you got to give a credit credit to a guy for taking the taking the uh, ball in his own court and you know developing himself in the offseason as well so give him credit there so I don't know if USC maybe made a late offer and it was a you know it could have been a day of signing day the day before signing day could have been that late I don't, I'm not sure I, I don't remember that recruitment very well to, to be able to go in depth on that one mm-hmm. thanks Dave for the yeah. the callback <laughs> oh, oh also about Corey Foreman and Arizona State Give Arizona State credit. They've been recruiting at a really high level with uh, under uh, Herm Edwards the last couple of years. He's got a bunch of guys from the Southern California area, including Chris Hawkins, Apprentice Gill, former USC uh, grad assistants. You know they, they have taken their recruiting to another level. Start, started with last year, really attacking Southern California, and Antonio Pierce, former Long Beach Poly coach. So they got a lot of ties in this area. So they're you know they're a legit threat there. You know they almost. They had Drake Jackson locked up, and then USC swiped him away right at the last second. Uh, you know that was a back and forth kind of battle. Um, so that one was, was a tough one for them to lose. But if they could get Corey Foreman, I think they would be happy with one or two. Mm-hmm. USC is going to try to do the same thing if Arizona State is the team in the lead right now. But that's the thing with Corey Foreman. There's been six different teams in the lead, I believe, so far. <laughs> yeah, it goes back and forth. And I- at the end of the day, I don't see them going to the Sun Devils. I mean, it's either going to be a you know big time program back east or like an Oregon or a USC, in my opinion. But I don't know who we'll see. Or like like Shotgun said, Arizona State's been recruiting really well. That one just didn't. I don't know. Doesn't pass the smell test for me. But we'll see. Hmm. We've seen weirder things happen in, in recruiting. True. And speaking of Hawkins, we had pops. We had Armand Armand Hawkins Senior in the chat earlier on the show. So uh, thanks for stopping by. He knows what's by. going on. In he does. He definitely does. Uh, we had a question on Facebook. I think it's in regards to Chase McGrath. That was one of the newsier things to come out of this week. Uh, he entered the transfer portal. Uh, Parker Lewis did get the starting job at the start of the season. Uh, Michael says, uh, "What's the point of entering the transfer portal in the middle of the season? It's not like they can play for another team immediately." And we've already seen it takes an injury or exposure to the virus for reserve players to be needed. I mean, a lot of times you just want to be gone. You know, you're not going to play anymore. Like, do you want to be practicing on a team that you're the backup kicker for? And you feel like you were, I mean, I don't know if he feels that way, but if he feels like he was hosed out of the job or whatever it is, if he doesn't feel it went down the way, you know, 
he's going to go into the treasure portal. Like, hey, now I can start being recruited. doesn't mean you have to go somewhere right away and play, but you're on the market. So, um, you know, if you're dating and, you know, you want to be married in July and you go, oh, let's start dating in June, like that's a little bit harder. You start dating in January, you got a lot more time to find that, you know, that special someone and then be married in July. Sure. How's that? Uh (laughs) Convoluted. Um, it comes down to, it comes down to, um, he's at a position where there are backups don't play. It's the same thing with quarterbacks. You know, it's not like you can go in and, oh, you'll get some playing time at the same time. If you find a spot where you're going to be the kicker, they're only going to take one kicker. They're not going to take multiple kickers. So you go into the portal now and look for a place where you fit. And once you find the right place and you, you take that, and then the, the school that you have chosen, you know, they're going to shut down looking for a kicker. Whereas if you wait, they pick up someone else now and, you know, your school that you think might be a really good fit for you, no longer there's a possibility there. Mm-hmm. Ryan's uh, analogy was so convoluted, I forgot what the initial question was. So I was like, how do we get a marriage? Uh, but whatever works, Ryan. We had a question from Mark on YouTube that said, uh, if USC had looked really impressive during their first three wins, where do you think they would be ranked right now? Did a Pac-12 team... Did a Pac-12 team ever have a real chance at making the playoffs this year? Shotgun, I know you were a little heated about the college football playoff uh, ranking system. Uh, take it away. I just, you know, it ne- not necessarily where USC is ranked. It was just that USC went down two spots while not playing a game, while Cincinnati and Ohio State did not go down two spots while playing, while not playing for the same reasons. But four teams jumped over USC, including... North Carolina, who lost for the third time. And hey, they lost to Notre Dame, but they lost by two touchdowns to Notre Dame. They also have a loss to two and six Florida State. They have a loss to four and four Virginia. So don't suddenly tell me like they're a great team because they played bad. I mean, they played well and lost a game. Wisconsin has three games. They have a loss. You know, they're ranked higher than USC as well. So it's not the number of games either that USC's played. You know, there's if you can look at each of the factors individually and say, well, there's that other team that has the same thing and they're ranked higher than USC. Now, has USC looked great? No. Where should they be ranked? Probably around 15, in my opinion. I mean, 16 is where is the most common ranking for the media in the media poll, the AP poll. That seems about right. 14 to 16, 14 to 18, somewhere in that range, you know, depending on how you want to rank the teams around them. But North Carolina shouldn't be ahead of them with three losses. No, I, I agree with you there, Shotgun. It's pretty meaningless, though, when you found out the last week where, you know, Oregon just wasn't going to be that high and that you thought they were going to be the class of the Pac-12. Now they lost, obviously, and dropped back down. USC is the highest-ranked Pac-12 team at number 20. I think they kind of showed the Pac-12, like, look, you have to have top 25 wins. There weren't any opportunities to play out-of-conference games. You've only played a couple of games so far. You've had a bunch of ones canceled. I think a lot of things would have to have gone right for the Pac-12 to make uh, the playoff. But the committee made it pretty clear, like, look, we're not going to take you as serious coming in. You better be, you look really impressive or have the resume of an Ohio State coming in where you were dominating all last year and you're just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Ohio Mm -hmm. State's getting the benefit of the doubt being up there where they are. They've missed some games. Wisconsin's getting the benefit of the doubt. They lost yeah. to Northwestern. Northwestern's not a great team. They're a good team. They want to see top 25 wins. I think, does Wisconsin have like one top No, 20, they, they beat uh, Illinois and Rutgers, I think. Oh, so they don't even have a top 25 win. No, but, they have no, they, there's nothing on their resume that says that they're really but, good. But they're in a conference that has top 25 wins where the Pac-12 doesn't <laughs> have any. Like, 
the pe- because there's no one in the top 25, you know. So it's Oregon really State has a top 25 win, technically. Right, yeah. But they're two and two. They've got <laughs> two losses. Them. So, yeah. So that's, it was going to be really tough, but things did not work out well. You can't have games being canceled. I mean, Arizona State, USC, Arizona State hasn't played a game since they played USC. So, like, there's no, like, USC has a win over an 0 and 1 team. Like, what, did the, what does the committee think about that? Like, yeah, no, and that no. was one of the things that people said. Well, USC, the teams USC's beat don't have a win. Well, they're 0 and 3 when they don't play USC. So, yeah. it's not like they have a lot of games there to draw from. It's not like they're 0 and 12. Yeah. But they're still 0 and 3. Like, I mean, that's, that's a thing, you know? Yeah, but it's just. I was just, it was more about not where USC was ranked or that they, even that they slid a couple spots. It was just the hypocrisy of it, of all them sliding while other teams with all the same characteristics, you know, or with, with similar characteristics did not, were not affected in the same direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think and you can look at it and you can also look and combine that with BYU and where they sit and go, you know, I tweeted this. The playoff committee is basically like they play football in the West. Do we have to consider the West even as a you know a football territory? We don't have to consider them in top twenty-five, do we? They don't pay attention to the West at all. You know, Oregon losing gave them an excuse to be like, all right, we can go to bed at seven p.m. on the East Coast. Yeah, that's where. It, so Arizona, just so you, like, I believe they've lost their last ten games. It might be eleven now with one more week. So they're on a pretty bad uh, losing streak. And Utah, what? They're 0 and 2, and they end up losing their last. They have a four-game losing streak. So, uh, yeah, that you know, it's not. Great. It's not been, you know, it's not great about yes. what the teams at USC has played. Not that that's USC's fault, but that's you know. Yeah, yeah. We're almost at the top of the hour, so we're gonna go into rapid fire, gentlemen. Uh, Hugo has an interesting question on YouTube. Uh, he, he talked about how you know we talked about USC might not have enough for service team and whatnot. He said uh, since there's a pr- possibility of using the first and second string guys as scout players, won't that help strengthen the team? Hashtag Pete Carroll practice question mark. A little more ones versus ones. You might, I, mean, you I don't might know if you go one versus ones. Like you got to yeah. keep everyone intact. That's the thing is the the scout periods aren't necessarily competition periods. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not ones versus ones. Even when you know, even if they, you know, ha- have to use ones versus twos, it's hey, here's a card. This is what Washington State runs. Okay, you're gonna do this. You're gonna do this, so that the offense can get a look and know what they're doing against it. So the defense knows what their assignment is. It's more of a teaching time period. Now, if you're a scout team player, you go as hard as you can all the time and try to impress somebody. Um, that's you know that's when we noticed Sam Darnold. That's when we noticed Daniel Mortabebe or Deontay Burnett. You know when they were playing with Sam Darnold, like oh man, this guy's making plays on the scout team against the first team defense, and those guys stand out to you. So you would love to give your guys to give you that look, but the the priority of that is to teach, is to teach what the other team is doing. How are we going to block it? How do we need to, you know, how do we need to, what are we looking for as a defense to know what they're running, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Don says, how much of a benefit do you think opting out will help Jay Tufele? But playing has certainly helped uh, Marlon Tuipolo too. It's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think Jay Tufele could have increased his stock as well. So I don't know that it's going to help him that he opted out. I think that he'd already made his bones. He has plenty of tape. Um, from the previous years, but I think he could have increased his stock like someone like Elijah Vera Tucker has done, as well as a guy like Marlon Tuipolo too. Elijah Vera Tucker is probably a better case because he was already probably going to be a draft pick. Now he's just worked his way up higher in the draft. Marlon you know, may have been a late-round draft pick, maybe even a fringe guy after last season. He's definitely worked his way into being a draft pick now. we got a question on YouTube. Is Jacob Lichtenstein expected to play this weekend? 
I would think so, though we don't have official really? word on that. That might be interesting. That might be a question for Clay tomorrow, uh, because the the big question was the acclimatization period and how much had he practiced. You know, had he worked up to full pads and had it got him going full speed. Um, I think he's a guy that if he's shown if he does well in practice this week, then yeah, I think you can throw him in there in special package or something. I don't think he'll play a bunch, but you know, I think he's a guy that could be on the field still. Listen to Soto didn't didn't sound like wasn't getting the feeling that he no. would. But no. why would you out back in if you can't play like if you're not gonna be Yeah, you used. should be yeah, I, so my gut's saying they're going to probably use him a little bit or throw him, him in there that. somehow. Yeah. Some when, I, when I asked Vic, I asked him, you know, where do you expect him to line up? And he said, that's something we'll find out through the week of practice. So I, I think that was interesting. Um, so I, I think maybe, I think there's still some unknowns for Vic Soto about where exactly he's going to put him. Uh, he's got to see him on the practice field and see him going to, to really uh, determine. Um, he said he's, because he's jumping in the middle of the season, it makes it hard to figure out. But he said he's excited he's back and he's excited the potential that he brings to the room. So we'll see. We shall see indeed. Dakers on YouTube says, will Washington State run a 4-3-4 zone defense against USC? I think they're doing more of a four-man front. Um, I'm not I've not dug into uh, you know the details of what they were doing, but I believe they're trying to do more of a, a four-man front. And I think they'll, they'll have some nickel and stuff in there as well. But like we talked about, they want to get more speed on the field. They've, they'll take like a big, you know, a, a bigger safety and, and drop them down. To play linebacker it's just something a similar thing what we saw before just because washington state's not recruiting that level of athlete usually so i think you're gonna see a lot more speed it might look like a, a 4-3-4 but there's there's some nickel looks with a safety guy that's actually playing linebacker but i think they're going to do a lot more of the four-man front so you know that might be a little bit different from what you've seen in the past sns production says do the wide splits on washington state's offensive line hurt them facing usc I think USC is going to attack those splits. Um, you know, the way that USC's, USC's defensive linemen, and this was something that Vic Soto said today, uh, talking about Marlon Tupelo, he said, in this defense, the nose tackle doesn't just take up blocks. He's not there just to consume a block and let someone else go. He wants them attacking and being aggressive. So I, I think USC is going to try to shoot some of those gaps if Washington State sticks with that kind of look against them. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a question about USC's cornerback depth. Ibrima on YouTube says, how's USC's depth looking at cornerback uh, for this year and the following year? Are they short in number slash quality? Cornerback depth, I mean, you feel confident because as long as Isaac Taylor Stewart hangs around and doesn't transfer, um, you know, if he's still in the mix, even if Elijah Griffin leaves early, which is a possibility, not necessarily a guarantee for sure, but you still have, you know, two elite guys you feel like even without Elijah Griffin, with Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart. Uh, there's some question marks after that, and you got to continue to build that up and, and see where you're at, uh, if there's an injury or something like that. But you, you got three guys that are that are that still have eligibility, so you feel pretty confident in that group, I think. Yeah. D.D. Diego has an interesting question. He said, with the shortage, shortage at linebacker, could we see a Brew McCoy sighting? No. <laughs> no, it's unfortunately not. About, It'd be fun, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it would be fun, but that ain't happening. Mm-hmm. He would, he would be more of an outside linebacker. You, you yeah. throw him in there on third downs and just attack the quarterback. Trojan Trojan says, can we please – this is what I alluded to, Shock, and can we please see more marquee step? I don't think Washington State can really stop him. You can if he's healthy, and he hasn't been healthy. That's the issue there. We, we would have seen more against Utah as well, but he was not healthy uh, and did not dress for that game. He, his reps increased from Arizona State to Arizona, and you expected him to take over as one of the top two guys. 
Uh, he had actually supplanted uh, Levi Malapai as far as being you know one of the top two guys along with Stephen Carr in that combo. And Vi was used for special situations, uh, two-minute drills and third-down situations. Uh, but obviously, if you can't dress, then you, you can't be one of those top guys. Coley wanted to know why we can't watch practice. Uh, USC and county rules, we'll say. USC, yeah. it blames the county, uh, but they also allow certain visitors to come on campus, so there's, there's still questions in my mind about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have one from uh, Fowler Mario on Periscope. Are most teams that face USC playing a drop eight most of the game now that we run an air raid? Uh, not always drop eight, but you know, dropping guys back into a zone is, is what's been most effective. We've seen that the most. We saw Utah do that somewhat, uh, a lot more than they did last year when they tried to play man-to-man. Yeah, I mean, every team is going to have some drop coverage in there. Everyone saw last year against Utah what USC does if you play 90% man. They torch you. Their wide receivers are too good. Um, so every team, even Utah this year, and Utah was guided this year versus last year. Last year they had five NFL uh, DBs. This year they have five new guys in there. So that changes a lot of things too. But Arizona State, people were talking about, oh, they, you know, they're dropping coverage all the time, but they weren't dropping all the time. Uh, you know, they're mixing it up. You know, a guy like Marvin Lewis, who's look at his resume, is not going to do the same thing all the time. But yes, teams are going to drop coverage and uh, force USC to beat them underneath because the biggest thing is USC's athletes are so good. You don't want to get beat over the top with a big play. You don't want that to happen to you. And you want to force USC because they make enough mistakes to beat themselves. And, you know, force USC, can you go on a 14-play drive without making a mistake, without taking a holding call and making it first and 20, without a false start or without, you know, just missing a block and getting a sack? You know, those things, that's what you want to force a team like USC to do. And Kerry Colbert was asked about that today. About like, Is it frustrating for you guys as a wide receiving group to, to be in zone coverage all the time? What do you have to say about that? He didn't care. He was just like, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever. We just we got out there and catch touchdowns. You know, it was, it was something like that. He didn't sound like that necessarily. <laughs> Shotgun. Yeah, that, that was a uh, Maury Povich, and that was determined to be a lie. Uh, <laughs> yes, wide receivers want to be able to attack deep. You know, so he can say he doesn't care. You know, they, what they have to do is they have to attack and be able to consistently move the ball, and then teams will be forced to do other things. But as a wide receiver, you want to be able to attack deep and get that big, big play, deep ball. You know, people celebrate a lot differently when they get an 80-yard touchdown than when they catch a six-yard pass. The, the biggest issue, though, for USC, I don't know what you think about the shotgun. If someone's – they're going to rush three guys, you can't have the offensive line, have two offensive linemen, like, trying to block someone that doesn't rush, and then – one guy gets beat one-on-one, -on -one and you get pressure on the quarterback only rushing three guys. Something like that, then yep. it's disaster because Keaton Slovis has a lot of dudes out in coverage, plus he's getting pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the offensive line has been much better this year about things like that. You know, There's not a ton of pressure that's been on Keaton Slovis consistently, um, and he does a good job of moving around. His pocket mobility, his pocket awareness is, is pretty good, so he helps those offensive linemen out at the same time. A mm -hmm. couple more questions, then we'll do final thoughts and game predictions. Hopefully... We'll have a game to predict. Uh, we had a question about tunnel vision. Ryan, have we figured out what to do considering our normal tunnel vision time is now taken up by the game? Yeah, I mean, 
We could go up against Monday Night Football, I guess. I don't know. Like that's probably what we're gonna have to do. If you guys are cool with that, or we let us do... know in the comments. Will you yeah, watch? like tell us well, what you want. We, we're not. We can't do it Sunday. The game's gonna be. We usually go against Sunday Night Football, so it doesn't really matter in that sense. Yeah, that's true. We not might joke. have to do like some Monday Night Football action, but uh, yeah, we'll probably have to do it. I mean, it, it seems like Monday night's gonna be the time we have to do it. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for that. Um, SNS Productions wanted to know: Should Texas be throwing the bank at Urban Meyer during a national pandemic and when their uh, athletic department? is in a 50, $53 million deficit, I believe. Uh, I mean, if you want to be like the moral police about what you should be doing, we probably shouldn't be playing college football. But if you want to win football games and you don't like Tom Herman, throw the bank at Urban Meyer. The thing is, it's not like the athletic department is throwing the bank. It's what the boosters are doing. Yeah. Boosters. So it's, it depends. In that situation, it depends on what the, the oil prices are. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. I mean, their biggest boosters are oil magnets. So it's just it's it seems too much like last year for USC fans for me over at Texas. It's a little like deja vu in that sense. Uh, we had a fun off-topic question from Mark who says, "Who or what was each of your top artists and songs on Spotify this year?" He has some guesses too. He guessed Beyonce for me. Great guess, Mark. Actually, not true. Probably one of the Atlanta rappers for Shotgun and some old person band for Ryan. <laughs> it would be an old person band. I got. I don't know what it is. I Shotgun and I have the same artist. For uh, our top person. How do you find out? Like, where is You could hear year in review. Shadi, take it away. Uh, we both had The weekend. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easy listening. You can listen to it while you write. It also, you can jam out to it as well. True. Plus, he had a new album this year. so Such a great new album. And I, I was in the 0.05% of his top listeners. So. And I'm 0.1%. So we're both <laughs> near the top. Yeah. It's very. I calculated. I'm, I listened to the weekend twenty seven percent of the time that I listen to Spotify. Wow. There you go. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I'm a yacht rock guy. I put a lot of yacht rock on. So there's a lot yacht of, rock. Yeah. Interesting. Well, hey, if you have uh, the pair style, that was my top podcast of the year. Tag us on Instagram. We've been uh, looking at people's posts, so uh, we'd love to see what you guys your top things of the year as well. Alrighty, guys. Final thoughts. First off, any final thoughts and game predictions? Ryan, how do you think this one is gonna go? Well, quick final thoughts first so far no pac-12 games have been canceled yet which is good Don't only one has it. been moved yeah so knock 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 <laughs> and we'll see uh so that's good well you know a lot of times it's thursday or friday but we've had some early ones wait, wait. technically there was a college ba uh, pac-12 basketball game canceled this week that doesn't count we don't want to talk about basketball. <laughs> so this is football we're talking about football here yeah so no football game canceled yet Seems optimistic that these games are going to happen, so that'll be good. For me, I think that the, you're going to see the USC offense do well, but not. there's going to be some struggles. I feel like the offensive line isn't going to be 100%. Um, I think it's going to be a closer game. You're going to see some this Washington State offense put some pressure, and there's going to be some coverage breakdowns. You're going to see some guys break open, maybe some big plays from Washington State. They got that capability. Uh, they have the two leading uh, receivers in the in the conference, I believe. USC has like number three and number four, but I feel like USC is going to win thirty-one twenty. It's not going to be a blowout mm. like the the spread, but I think it's going to be closer. Maybe not as many points as USC scored. It's about you know USC scored like thirty-four. I think they're going to get a little less, thirty-one, and uh, Washington State get like twenty-seven, twenty-eight, something like that. Interesting, Shadi. I know when Ryan said that it was a, a two-score. Uh, underdog Washington State, you made a little face like you weren't sure about that. <laughs> Explain yourself. Yeah, I don't see that happening. USC uh, as a as a double digit favorite is usually not covering the spread, and I don't think they'll cover this one. Uh, I think they will win. I think it'll be about an eight point game. So okay. I'm gonna go like a 34 26, you know, 35 27 somewhere there. All right. Okay. Well, USC scored what 33 34 the last 
two games. Yeah, and then I think if oh. that's the, if that's the case, then we'll have some groans from people that USC didn't score more points, and Clay Helton will probably say that man, we left some points out there. If we just did this right, then we would score forty or fifty points. I think that's that's my predicted plan of what will happen yeah. if if the uh, ball game does turn out to be thirty five twenty seven. Interesting. I'm gonna say forty two thirty five. Eh, I don't know. I'll say I'll say forty two twenty eight. How about that? Oh, so they're gonna cover the spread? Eh, no, I don't know. You know I hate this. I hate this every year. It doesn't matter. Or every week. Uh, Ryan, we had a lot of questions. What is yacht rock? Not everyone knows. Uh, yeah, I can pull up some of the things. So no, it's like, you don't have to. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's name like, some of the artists. Um, like you know, so you you heard Africa, you know, that's been Toto. Like, yeah. Toto. So to, like so Toto <laughs> kind of songs. Africa. No, but I mean, like that was one of the like okay. that became popular recently. There are a lot of, like kind of seventies, like softer rock kind of stuff. It's uh, yeah. Jasper Smith says a smooth sound from the late seventies, early eighties. There you go. That's there you perfect. go. Jasper yeah. Smith coming in right there. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up. Shaka, I don't think you had any final thoughts, correct? I had a couple of rapid fire. Um, no, we're done. No, with we're those, good. Yeah. <laughs> what? We're that's done. That's going to wrap we're it done up. With rapid fires, yeah. Alrighty. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Shaka. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Monday. Stay tuned. Ryan, are you doing a halftime show? Yeah, we're going to do a halftime show for show. And we're One gonna... of the questions was TV plans on, on, uh, on Sunday, the game will be televised on FS1, correct, Ryan? FS1 yes. at 4.30. 4 mm-hmm. so Time changed since last we reported on Sunday when we broke the news that the game was going to be moved and they gave us a time. It has since been changed. Yes. Yeah. So about 5 o'clock, whenever halftime is, we'll do a tunnel vision. It'll probably just be me in my living room and we'll uh, discuss what's going on in the first half of the game. There you go. That's it. Alrighty. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Monday. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.